What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Show where we throw science against the wall and see if it sticks. Welcome. Um, it's the uh, the main stage players here uh, today. We, occasionally, we have fabulous guests. Uh, today, it's just, it's the home team, um, and that means um, my esteemed colleagues. But I'm Philip Shane, a uh, documentary filmmaker, science fan, um, not necessarily a practitioner of science, although I try to, uh, we'll get to that in a second, um, but um, mostly just a fan, an admirer. And uh, with me, um, uh, among our two guests, one of them is a genuine practitioner of science, that is uh, Gabby Panicia from Rockefeller. University, a virologist of Rockefeller. How are you, Gabby? I am good. I uh, I did my first SARS-2 work ever this week, which was fun. Whoa. I, what does uh, that mean? I, yeah. I, I just worked with the virus, basically. I, I did some infections, um, and I'd really not managed to do that before. I was working with West Nile, and it just something came up where I was going to start doing some SARS-2 work, so it worked out nice. I Actually, I did learn a very, very important lesson, if you want to hear it. Oh, yeah. yes, um, Absolutely. So for SARS-2 work, just to give some context, you have to be in like this Tyvek. It's like a big plastic jumpsuit. And specifically, you have to have something called a papper, which is imagine like a WWE belt sort of thing. But instead <laughs> of like the big logo, it's just a fan with like a filter in it. And you wear that backwards. So it sits above your lower back. And then there's a hose that connects um, directly from this fan over your head into this hood that blows air down your face and essentially keeps virus particles away from your face. Um, you cannot, on on God, fart in your Tyvek <laughs> because there is a fan right above your butt, and the hose sucks it right up and blasts it back into your face. Instant wow. action consequence link. Zero out of ten. I would not recommend. That it's, has uh, to be by design. They had to have built it that way, right? You, yeah, you know, I'm sure. <laughs> it, you know, I never experienced this working with West Nile because N95. My air supply was essentially fundamentally disconnected from my butt regions. Um, but that was, yeah, that was a zero out of ten. I'm never going to forget that. <laughs> and what is the name of the suit again? It's a, it's a, it's a Tyvek is the, the jumpsuit, basically. Although it's, right. it's a papper that's the apparatus that did the papper. particular punishment. Beware the papper. Ugh. Wow, that is that that's got to be you know. I was just thinking that might make it. First, I was thinking, oh, it sounds like a spacesuit, maybe like being you know doing a spacewalk or something. But no, in space, no. <clears throat> you can fart all you want. Um, now I'm guessing, although in your NASA suit, you would, again, it could be an issue. We I think we've really learned something. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, something <laughs> quite important. Can you adjust the fan? You know, can you make it go? 
I mean, high or low or backwards or forwards or emergency. You Do you have an emergency stop on the fart fan? <laughs> you you can change the speed, but you know it's probably best if it just is over as fast as possible. Like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Um, but I bet that really takes care. I, I bet you know any COVID particles are like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah, and you know you, you can't really you know uh what what is it crop dust anyone wearing a papper you're it's it's very self-contained just for you it's it's terrible <laughs> really nothing gets wow. out of the environment <laughs> wow now, now did you uh maybe we, we can spend more time on this on another time but I, <laughs> I, i'm fascinated about this whole not not that i'm uh, getting beyond that getting back to the uh, the actual purpose of your work um were you do you were you looking at SARS? Is it something you could see under a microscope? Was it no, no, you, you need an electron seeing? microscope for that. Basically, yeah. uh, we, we identified an antiviral gene um, from this huge uh, gene knockout screen. And it's actually a really funky antiviral gene. It's sort of one of these genes that, um, or these proteins that we've discovered has a lot of functions inside the cell. Like it's at the nexus of a lot of different things. Um, so it's kind of understudied in antiviral contexts, or if it is studied, it's really under um, sort of antiviral under DNA virus context. So this is really the first time we're looking at it for RNA viruses, and it probably has some weird mechanism. Um, I've been joking around calling it like the capybara of proteins because it's just around everything else, just hangs out. Um, so it'll be interesting to figure out what exactly it's it's doing. So that that's my my purpose, basically, the, the pivot of my thesis is figuring out what it's doing in SARS-2 infection. And then also, you know, does it affect other viruses that we have in the lab? Because the great thing about the rice lab is we've got like just basically any virus. We've got at least a dozen yeah. in the lab. So we're just going to kind of keep throwing these viruses at this uh, protein and just see what happens. Wow, that's handy. Amazing. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Yeah. Well, we'll look forward to hearing more about that. And uh, we appreciate your sacrifice taking one for the team. Um, is it a purple heart for this? Is that, is that yeah. where the... Uh... <laughs> purple sunset. <laughs> um, so uh, also here with us is uh, historian of science, Professor Matthew Stanley from New York University. Uh, this is true. Matt, is there any special actually you are wearing some kind of, there, there are protective clothing protocols happening in the classroom so. uh well that's right um masks and um a full suit of plate armor sometimes because <laughs> um, oh, yeah. we've been having trouble with viking raids lately <laughs> i was going to ask if you get to choose what you know what civilization uh, mm -hmm. armor you, you get to wear yeah it depends on the semester yeah no. <laughs> so, so the Vikings, so the Vikings are raiding, and uh, are you? Have you been able to fend them off? Uh, so far, so good. Yep. And we'll use high tuition as keeping them away for the most part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, I know about that. <laughs> All right. So um, we have we have such a great idea that's been brought to us by Gabby straight out of her uh, her Tyvek suit. Uh, the if of this week and uh before we jump right into that uh matt can you tell us what is this situation that people have if a viking managed to um, 
you know, get through all the checkpoints and somehow survive several melee rounds and just decided, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just going to hang out and just enjoy this program that seems to be happening in front of me. What have they stumbled into? Uh, they would be shocked to discover um, that reality itself uh, was changing around them, um, that solely by the power of our mind, we had changed something um, about the world. Uh, and then uh, the Viking would have to sit around and see what had changed uh, about their lives um, and what the consequences of that change were. Indeed, indeed. As we ask the titular question, in fact, um, of the program, and um, this was brought to us by, by Gabby, and we'll jump right in now. When we turn to the sky and... We asked, what the hell? Humans had the power of the gecko. What power are we talking about? Gabby will help us understand, but it has something to do with their incredible super sticky paws the sticky paws of the gecko am i explaining this correctly gabby what was your what what, what was the idea and, and how did this come to your mind that uh, yep. today so i guess for some context i rock climb a lot in my free time ah. um and it's it's very fun but of course there are holds that you wind up just slipping off of um whether because they're kind of slick or you just can't really get your hands on it too right um, and it's something that, you know, really experienced rock climbers, you know, have extremely powerful hands, so they're still kind of able to stick to things. Um, but it's something that, you know, off rip, a gecko has no problem with a completely vertical surface, a gecko can climb. Um, and I actually, my poor mother dealt with me harassing geckos when we lived in Florida a lot. Cause I was just, I love <laughs> lizards too much. Um, so in fact, for, for those who don't know, let's, let's just take a step back. What is a gecko? Now, all, all I know is, you know, those of us who've seen that there's a company called Geico that has a mascot who is a gecko and he's adorable, but he's actually of indeterminate height. I, I can't tell from because it's just some kind of a computer animation. What, what, what does a gecko look like? Where, where are they found and uh, are they friendly? Yeah, so geckos are reptiles. They're a lizard. Um... <laughs> My cat! <laughs> My cat! Mosey just <laughs> jumped. She's like, geckos? You're talking about geckos? I got to get in on this. And she jumped up on the computer and started playing the music. Amazing. So thank you. Sounds great. Thank you. It was great just she, to watch she, a cat. Yeah. Cat head for half a frame and then just <laughs> great. That music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, uh, thanks to her, the band gets another uh, half um, another half check for that uh, extra performance. So thank you, guys. And thank you, Mosey. So geckos. Yeah, uh, a gecko is a lizard. Um, they actually kind of range in size, uh, so some of them can get pretty, pretty large. Um, and they have these sort of unique—I don't want to necessarily call them like feet, basically—where um, they sort of have bulbous fingertips. They sort of splay out a little bit, and they can stick to really just about any surface. So they can even stand on glass. Uh, completely vertically and just climb up it, uh, which wow. is really very impressive considering, you know, just about everything else would slide off. I mean, if you tried to climb a plane of mm. glass, it wouldn't really go well. Um, 
So they kind of are really known for just being sticky. <laughs> and when you say <laughs> the, the range, range in size, uh, in my mind, they're always like little, little tiny, tiny things. Things like how big could one get? Not as big as like an iguana or something. No, um, but the largest gecko is about fourteen inches long. So oh, it's wow. over a foot. That's pretty wow. big. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. And, and uh, yeah, go ahead. The smallest is uh, let's see. There, I know some of them are like less than an inch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so wow. there's one that's a little bit longer than half an inch, 0.6 inches. That's yeah. pretty teeny. That's so you got a pretty big dynamic range on your uh, your gecko species size. Yeah, and their feet. In, in my mind, they have like how many toes do they have? But that uh, in my mind, uh, I remember correctly. At, at like the tips of their toes, do they have like big pads? Yeah. So they've uh, got five uh, fingers. Um, so right. kind of like us. Um, and then uh, they have sort of, they're, I don't want to call them bulbous because they're not round on the bottom, but they are large pads. Um, almost like discs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Almost like discs. Like, like UFO landing pads. If we were yeah, yeah. It's kind, of, it's kind oh, of like right. suction cup fingers, sort of. Uh-huh. Yeah, of course. Suction cup, right. Um, and the, the, the reason, um, this question is, is particularly interesting is um, I believe that we don't really understand the science behind why they're able to do that. Is that correct? Like, are, are they the only, is it something about their, their size? For instance, flies, you know, insects climb up walls all the time, right? And it doesn't seem that's not particularly unusual, but is there something about these little lizards, the fact that they can climb up things that makes them different? Than yeah, for instance, so, snakes don't climb walls, for right? Yeah, not very much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, not in the same way that a, a gecko can. Yeah, they, they kind of right. need something there to, to grab onto. Yeah, so right. geckos have something called setae, which are, they're these kind of like striations almost. They look like, if you're staring at a gecko finger pad, they look like lines. Um, but they're actually sort of adjustable kind of hairs, pads, almost. Mm. Hairs, I don't want you to think that they have like hairy hands, but that's probably like the best way to <laughs> think of it. Mm. Um, and so each one of those ends with what scientists have called nanostructures. I don't know anything about the characterizations of it. Um, nanostructures are called spatulae, which just sounds kind of funny to me. Um, <laughs> and so by having all of that sort of crinkly nanostructure to get into, I guess, microscopic grooves that exist. It's kind of like a dry adhesive. Um, and so by adjusting the angles of the way that the setae are bent, they can attach or detach from walls. And so they have apparently a very unique method of walking where like they have to peel the front of their fingertips up, um, or at least based on some of the stuff that I'm seeing illustrated, um, but like there's a separation front uh, on like the front of like the toe pads and then they like peel that up. And then the, you've still got the ones on the back that are still glued so the gecko doesn't just completely fall. And yeah. they can like move forward and like detach again. It, it seems like a very complicated It does seem kind process. of complicated, but they can do it pretty quick, right? This, this, that process doesn't take them very long. Yeah, no, um, they, they can move pretty fast. All right, so it, it's one of these things that I'm assuming is, is really, you know, it's 
the gecko is doesn't need to you know actively think about controlling the thousand and sixth settee on its back <laughs> left foot like you know this is just kind of happening pretty innately uh, but it's very impressive um how good these structures are because apparently a single seta just so just one of those hairs with all the nanostructures on it um can withstand like 20 milligrams of force and a gecko has like six and a half million of those things so in oh. theory mm -hmm. they could support like 133 kilograms which is a Whoa. lot of weight wow. so in theory yes. you could have a much 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 bigger gecko um, although I don't know how much that would actually work out in, in practice. Like maybe something is particularly good about, you know, the gecko mm -hmm. being small enough to hold itself close to the wall. Don't know. All right. Wow. Well, that's good. Cause I weigh less than 133 kilograms. Um, so one gecko. So if I, the gecko strapped me to their back, they could still walk up the wall. That's pretty impressive. If, yeah. If you had a really swole gecko, so it could, it yeah. could manage, you know, pulling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That is insane. Uh, so, if we if we transpose this from geckos to humans and we now have fingers and toe well we could talk about in this scenario whether do we change our feet into being more like hands uh, so that you know even closer to the form of the gecko or not but uh, if we had this ability we could climb walls and in terms of the scale of how much more we could carry what would that translate to um like what was the what was the uh, how much more power how much more weight could the gecko carry than their own body no so the, i should specify okay. that's not how okay. much weight the gecko can carry more than its own body it's ah. the theoretical limit of the weight being supported that can be supported by those structures. So, for example, oh, if you okay. took the same structures that a gecko mm. had and put them on our hands and you gave us the same number that a gecko ah. had, in theory, that could support 133 kilograms. I do not know if it works a little bit different based on our weight distribution or something like that. Like, you know, we right. would need, you know, scale up our, you know, the body size of a gecko with their six and a half million setae to our body size and, you know, get towards a billion or something like that, that we would need. Um, right. But so it's not necessarily that it gives it more power, but it's that it's, it's able to support more weight than you would think. But it can hang. Cool. Yeah. It can yeah. hang. <laughs> That's quite interesting. Cause it means, yeah, we don't even, you don't have to do any fancy um, transpositions to run this thought experiment. It's like, you know what, let's just, let's just slap on our gecko gloves. Right. Mm -hmm. And, this is something that people are working on, right? I've seen things, I don't know if it's just marketing, right? But I, uh, aren't, aren't there things that people are trying to manufacture? Like the 3M company, the company that makes the sticky yellow post-it notes, you know, they got to be all over this gecko, right? I'm sure they've been banging their heads against it forever, trying to um, um, manufacture something that will give us uh, the power of the gecko. Mm -hmm. Or are, are are there things out there that have been used um, for like hanging? I've seen there's all kinds of new systems for hanging pictures and things like that. Some of them are magnets and stuff like that. Is is this gecko technology making its way into our lives yet, or is it still a mystery? So I, I did look it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, in 2014, a group at Stanford made these like. Um, 
like silicone pads um, that were meant to imitate, you know, gecko sete. Yeah. And it did actually work. It, it let a 70 kilogram man scare a, scale a glass wall. Wow. It, it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't fully like he didn't, you know, I don't think he was able to use, I don't think, you know, he didn't have pads on his feet. It was just on his hands. And I think they had him on some sort of thing where like it would move his feet up as he continued moving up, uh -huh. but wouldn't actually provide any stability. Uh, I, have to, I would have to watch the video to get a better idea. And is um, his name Peter Parker? That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Literally, the article calls them Spider-Man gloves. Um, yeah. So right. I don't know yeah. how much that's been used since. I know the military was interested in it, I guess, unsurprisingly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But we will have to see what comes of it otherwise. I mean, it's definitely one of these things where, like, you know, taking inspiration from nature is really useful. Um, but I think right now, the way we have it is that current conventional things, like, you know, rather than having your window climbers wear gecko gloves, it's pretty easy right now just to kind of have a, a, what would you call it, like a platform thing that moves up and down. Uh, yes. Right, the old wind, yeah. right, the old window yeah. washer platform. Yeah, exactly. It works fine. We don't need to go. Get, we don't need to go get go on this. Um, <laughs> but boy, this has got to be coming. This is we've got to be on this. Now, Matt, here's a question: a science history question. How is it that such a thing is still unknown? For like to me, that's amazing. We geckos are we're familiar. We see them all around, right? Mm -hmm. And um, we have looked at humans have looked at birds. And figure out how to fly. That's a pretty astounding thing. In fact, it turned out we found out how to fly in a way that in a totally different way. Yeah, different way. Right, right. Mm -hmm. um, but how is this? I'm always amazed at what we don't know. Thinking about the when, when I think about the world, I feel like oh my god, we know so much. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's kind of a tricky question to answer. Um, I should say these. Um, Let's see here. We've gotten good at studying very, very small things, atoms, and very big things like planets. Um, we're not so good in the middle area, um, what's sometimes called the mesoscale. Um, and why that is is a little trickier. It might be that it's because they're kind of we're we're the, we're the mesoscale. I should say living things generally um, is that we're pretty complicated and do not obey the the simplified laws you get at the very big and the very small. Um, so we're just not very good at studying wet things yet. Um, and this is why biology is the, the wave of the future, because they're finally starting to crack some of those sorts of things. Um, and why? Wet, uh, what do you mean by wet? I, I mean literally wet things, things that are wet, like living critters, um, huh. and oh, in oh, particularly oh. Uh, soft things turn out to be hard to study. Um, so soft, oh. wet things like geckos um, uh, obey entirely different sets of laws than um, things like atoms and pieces of metal. Um, so we kind of, so we're kind of starting from, from zero. You know, we've got a couple hundred years studying, um, hard objects in a scientific way. Um, but, uh, studying wet things is like 50 years old. It's still quite new. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, and Gabby, do you have any, any thoughts as to what, what, what is the challenge for this? So the scientists now, let's say, let's say you set out, you strap on your, uh, 
your Tyvek suit and your, uh, what was the fan called? The papper. The papper. He slapped the papper. <laughs> Slap on the papper. Get to work. Um, why, what's, what's the challenge here? Why, why can't you just uh, look at uh, the feet of the get-go and say, oh, let me copy that uh, in, in some form or fashion and make a glove based on that? Like a 3D print. Can I can I scan it with lasers and slap it in a 3D printer and uh, get on my Spider-Man clothes? Yeah, so, I mean, there's a couple things at work here. Like Matt said, the wet sciences are sort of inherently weirder to work with. So I'm, you, you might hear wet biology, dry lab biology. Um, so I'm a wet lab scientist. That basically just means a lot of my stuff's in liquid. Um, and it, it really is like that. Like if I'm doing work with cells, it is in a jar of liquid. Um, and the dry lab biologist is more computational uh, stuff like that, where they they they're not you know getting their hands dirty with the chemicals. Um, but part of the thing is okay, you have to study really really close up on a gecko's feet, like electron microscopy level. If you really 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 want to see the things, well, you can't do that on a live gecko because they're not going to sit still. And preparing samples for electron microscopy is pretty difficult. You also have to oh. kind of like nuke them with like electron beams because i'm pretty sure it mostly destroys the sample afterwards yeah so it's pretty harsh stuff yeah. yeah you don't really want to do that to a, a full gecko um one of the things that has been helpful is um i do know that there have been recordings of geckos walking on glass walls in the laboratory where they have the camera on the other side of the wall of, of the glass the piece of glass so then they record that and then can look more about you know more macroscopic way about how the setae are moving um mm. although that doesn't really give you to, you know, they have to have really good cameras. Um, and I don't know too much about, you know, how much they've been able to get just from that. Um, it's also one of these things that's hard too, because, you know, you can't tell sometimes what's going on on the inside. So what what the, what the um, muscles are that the gecko has to move to control individually the isate? Do they move sort of in unison as a result of uh, a general movement of the finger? Um, and that's mm. what controls it, or it's like an individual muscle or something like that. Um, then you have to do something more anatomical. Um, like, for example, I know only recently we kind of cracked how geckos drop their tails um, through a combination of microscopy and videos. Um, it was actually kind of oh, funny. Wow. You watch these videos of scientists kind of like bullying geckos almost. So they had to like <laughs> hold them by the tail. Um, and, and we figured out eventually that it was a combination of um, like f there needs to be a certain amount of force um, that actually what, triggers like a mechanical mean? detachment. Drop. You mentioned you said drop their tails. So I was oh yeah, this is a defense mechanism. No, this is a defense mechanism for lizards. They will <laughs> literally lose their tails. Mm -hmm. So essentially, imagine that a predator has a lizard by the tail, and the lizard goes nope, and it gets rid of the tail. It literally will just. If you look at a gecko do it in slow motion, it it almost looks like um, like a really chubby octopus, like um, <laughs> where there's like little, I don't want to call them fingers, but like little protrudings that sort of like release off the gecko um Aww. and then Aww. the tail is left behind um and then they wound up also doing some sort of um they reprinted um the structures that they examined um and and made them they just like plated them on like glass plates so then they were able to study the adhesion in a more controlled gecko free environment uh, <laughs> afterwards where they could just stop bullying the lizards well, this is like a whole nother thing going on, mm -hmm. separate from the amazing feet. This is they just, and then, and then I assume that does their tail grow back? 
mm-hmm. after a while. Yep. And the gecko's, you know, totally fine. It's just like, hey, man, come on. Like, it, it's not, like, actually, like, really hurt by the process. That is, uh, th- that's almost weird. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> transposing that to people as well. Um, you could just, just, yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Get rid of my leg here for a second. <laughs> um, that's astounding. Um, so it strikes me also that part of it is if we do think about the gecko or the bi- these biological creatures as machines, that a lot it seems it has to do with basically the complexity of the machine. For instance, um, you were mentioning how they filmed. Um, geckos uh looking you know looking at from the other side of the glass and filming in slow-mo and different things like that and it reminded me of um in the very early days of film a motion picture film uh there's a famous series of um i'm drawing a blank right now on his name but uh photographer who uh photographed made motion pictures of horses running Right. Mm-hmm. And, oh, maybe you're thinking of Murray. Murray, yeah. And and looked at their legs and, and like one of the questions there was a uh, I don't know if it was a barbet question or genuine scientific question or both. It was sort of like do the four do the four legs of the horse all leave the ground at the same time? Is there any point in fully in there or not? And just what is the motion? You know, what how do they walk? What what's that? And and you can you know if you Google this you can see this famous series of images, beautiful of. Um, uh, horses running, which in fact then led led in fact to uh, the art of animation to some degree. People could, uh, artists could study that and then draw other people. Um, but we did not build uh, vehicles that walk like that. Even though now we could see how the what, what was the mechanics of how a four legged creature walked, um, because we discovered you know a much simpler, somewhat it seems to me, a mechanical method of like a car. Right, and just like a couple axles, throw some round things on it, and um, I guess if you're like the Flintstones, push or push yourself with your feet, off you go. Let mm-hmm. them with an engine, you know, strap, a, strap a horse on the front and let them pull you. Um, and only now, likewise, I guess, on the, and we're talking about on the edge of how we're starting to get to the level of being able to understand wet creatures, um, are we getting to the level of sophistication with like robotics, where we actually are. They've looked at how insects walk and how other creatures walk and how they and how do insects fly and now we're able to build robots, drones, for instance, that model the motion of how an insect walks, so that we could send a, a robot to crawl across all kinds of environments that would be mm-hmm. difficult for a wheeled creature, right? So I guess we're on a we're on an edge here where we're really getting to another advanced deeper yeah i think that's right because um yeah once we're able to uh uh, synthesize these sorts of things um then uh, then we can do cool things like get our gecko gloves um so if you had gecko gloves gabby uh how would that change your uh free climbing experiences well first of all it would be instantly so much easier because you know when you climb, sometimes you don't have an extra foothold. So the thing that you do is you just kind of like jam your foot against the wall to get like what mm-hmm. little extra friction you can. Now that's not a problem. If I don't have an extra handhold, foothold, I just stick against the flat wall, um, which is sort of, there's only certain situations when you can really do that climbing. 
um, where you're just trying to like put pressure on an opposite wall to sort of maybe keep you up or something like that. Uh, but you can't really make vertical progress doing that. You're just sort of doing something static to change your position. Um, so instantly that would just be so much cooler. Like, you know, I, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna climb this wall, but you know, I just don't need any handholds, footholds. I just sort of walk straight up it. Um, which I think actually is immediately really cool for me if this is a thing that people use widespread because it would kind of just change our locomotion through things. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, what would you climb? What would, what would be, what would, you can now climb anything. What would you do? How high would you go? I don't know. I, I did discover I do have a mild fear of heights. Um, so, I mean, whenever this is, I'd have to feel really secure in it. Like, you know, make sure that, you know, I don't slip out of the gloves and just leave some yes. perfectly <laughs> sticky gloves hanging on the side of the Empire State <laughs> Building. Right. Um, that would be embarrassing. Yeah. But I definitely always was one of those kids who climbed rocks. Um, so I think that would just be kind of fun. Just go outside, you know, hey, look at that cliff. I'm going to go climb that and uh, give my mom a heart attack. But um, yeah, it seems pretty cool to be able to do something like that. By the way, I must, uh, uh, I am obligated and I'm happily obligated to, uh, as a documentary filmmaker, to recommend if you're into rock climbing, especially Free Solo, as they call it, this movie mm, called Free yeah. Solo, about this astounding uh, rock climber who climbs um, without using any ropes or anything like that. And they made one with Oscar a few years ago, uh, made by some friends of mine, incredible film. National Geographic, Free Solo. Um, so um, how would we, we, we now scale this up to this is a normal part of civilization. Let's say, let's say the humans either discovered this using gloves quite some time ago, or um, biologically we were we we managed we, for some reason we evolved having this uh, this ability to climb things. Um, what does our civilization look like where this was a completely normal thing? Like it strikes me almost that like. Um, it's sort of like imagining what uh, civilization will look like in zero gravity. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but just that idea that, you know, life on the space station is, is fascinating. If you watch, you know, you watch videos of the astronauts living on the space station. It's crazy how they're completely used to just all four walls are ceilings and floors at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. There is no floor. Um, this would be a little bit like uh, or anyway, what, how do you, what do you imagine? Architecture or just anything? Social gatherings? Yeah, no, I mean, immediately when you said like life in zero gravity, I was thinking kind of similarly. I just hadn't put it into really so elegant of a, um, a phrase. But yeah, I mean, the first thing I thought of was, you know, getting to the subway, which I think might kind of just show that I've lived in New York for a bit too long. <laughs> um, but if you think about it, there are some subways that you are, you know, just getting the platform where the trains are. And you're on an escalator for like five minutes where, you know, to basically just make sure that you're not, you know, moving at an angle where you're going to die. It's just constant sta slow staircases up at an, at a, an appropriate angle that human beings can tolerate. But right. if we're geckos and we're able to stick to whatever, they could just dig a tunnel straight down. And then have, oh. you know, just a side tunnel you go off to for, you know, the uptown train, a slightly lower tunnel for the downtown train or what have you um yeah. and that's it like i mean granted you don't want to fall in but we're, we're little gecko dudes so it's probably yeah. not going to be too hard to just stick mm -hmm. yeah it's a lot more efficient i think 
That's wild. It reminds me of the highways in the movie uh, Minority Report. Uh, if anyone who saw that, they, they're basically everyone drive, drives around in automated cars. And so at some point, somebody realized, oh, wait a second. If the car is fully automated, that means that, why, that, that the highway could go in any angle they want it. And for instance, why not just go straight down when they need to? And the cars just rotate. You know? um, they're magnetic, I suppose, is how they're sticking to the highway. But um, uh, what would a... So th this happens to be a holiday weekend for a lot of people around the world. Coming up. Mm -hmm. Passover and Easter at the same time. And um, <laughs> what is a, what's a holiday gathering? I'd say the family's getting together. What does it look like? What's the scene uh, in that? Oh, immediately I've just thought of, you know how when it's like Thanksgiving, like if you do like buffet style Thanksgiving where like all the food's on another table or whatever, and like yeah. you're waiting behind the line of like ants who are just like taking way too long <laughs> to get like the Brussels sprouts or whatever, you're just yeah. like, screw it. You jump on the ceiling. You hang the plate yeah. down, and then you are now above. You uh, have made a third line. That's well, a really nice application. Yeah, I like that. It just made, just okay. made me think of Ninja Thanksgiving must be a blast. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is that is. A also, everyone has their own. You know, you don't you don't have to wait for somebody to cut the turkey because everyone has their own swords already. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I like um, it. Yeah, queuing is a totally different experience. That's right. It can go up the wall and over the top. Um, that'd be nice. Yeah. Everything. I mean, our, our civilization is really laid out in two dimensions. Um, and then sometimes we stack those two dimensions for, you know, different floors in the mm -hmm. same building, mm -hmm. but we're not really laid out in three dimensions. Um, but if we could climb easily up the wall, then we totally could. Right. Um, no reason we couldn't organize things vertically, uh, the way we have things organized horizontally today. Um, so that's a lot of space that's currently wasted um, that we could use for for good stuff like buffet lines. Yeah, yeah. I just realized that if you go, if you make so right now, if we say the floor is one service, floor is the service we live on, um, and 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 all the others are just sort of enclosures. It's just shelter. But you go from floor, you now have uh, from you go from one surface to uh, six. Is that right? Yeah, four mm -hmm. walls and a floor and a ceiling, let's say, in a normal room. Um, six times as much surface area. Uh, that's crazy. Um, now, it strikes me that the next thing is that biologically, we still have an issue. That gravity is still around, and it's still mm -hmm. a difficult thing. So, yes. so it's not zero gravity. So, for instance, um, I was imagining an office that, uh, let's say you imagine you know, an office with a bunch of cubicles in it, kind of standard corporate space. And uh, I'm imagining instead of just like a floor of cubicles, it's like all six surfaces, all four walls and ceiling, floor, all cubicles, and people are working on each of those surfaces. It would still be extremely difficult gravity-wise um, for the people in the non-standard <laughs> directions. Um, so how would that work? Uh, what, what, what structures do we have to now have in place to kind of make that work? And then a further question, a, bit more, a little bit more maybe a Gabby question is sort of like, 
our inner ears, or I don't know, you know, how, how do we have to adapt to be able to be more flexible in our orientations? Well, I mean, I don't know. So we might be able to have more use of six walls, but I don't imagine we'd be able to live our lives up there unless, right. you know, mm -hmm. things would still have to be rotated so that ground is down. So for example, if you're standing on a wall, your desk surface still has to be parallel with the surface of a desk that's on the right that's sitting on the regular ground mm -hmm. um because yeah. that's where yeah. gravity is yeah. going um another thing just as far as the biology goes is probably be difficult to do that too because i'm imagining that just two feet worth of settee are not going to be able to keep us uh entirely perpendicular to the floor um Think about yeah. how much core strength you would have to have to sit there and stand on the wall and not just go and sort of right. fall with gravity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you'd be able yeah. to scamper up all four walls, um, but it'd be difficult to stand on all four walls. Um, as far as inner ear stuff goes, I think we'd probably be pretty okay um, because we are still used to, well, we can tell where down is. Um, it would probably be something, though, that might take a little bit of an adjustment to just be like, okay, well, we don't have to be standing in that normal way like i can imagine that if you are now standing on walls or on ceilings your perception of space is probably gonna gonna change a little bit mm -hmm. um, yeah. and it's not going to be so down oriented yeah and i would imagine that we you know the this if this was something that was a technological innovation as it looks like it might very well be soon, sooner rather than later um we would apply that material to all kinds of things. So we really, you know, you could, you could have a desk that's on a vertical wall if everything on the desk has, you know, this sticky stuff about it. And, uh, you know, I, you could imagine um, that, uh, for instance, the desk could actually be, the desk could come out of the wall, the desk could still be parallel to the floor. Right, it just yeah, because gravity is still facing the same way. Yeah, right. So you just, it's almost like you could work, like you have bookshelves. If you make the, imagine those bookshelves being much bigger, people could be working in rows that are just stacked mm -hmm. up vertically along the wall. Um, that that wouldn't be hard, and just the fact that we can scamper all around uh, makes this uh, possible. It also strikes me that I could imagine the boss being uh, somehow configuring his desk. So that he was like the only one on the ceiling, and uh, you know, he, I could imagine him almost like a like, like a ninja or something, where his feet and hands are pressed up against the ceiling, holding him there, and he's still he's looking down. It's a little bit of an acrobat move, but he's always looking down. He's wearing sunglasses. <laughs> he's always just looking at the ceiling. You know, like a panopticon. You've got kind of an office space panopticon thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, privacy um, in general is probably a little sacrifice too, since people can scamper up the uh, outside wall of your building and peer in the windows. Right. Wow. Oh, yeah, the outsides. This completely changes everything. Yeah. Wow. Real estate now, totally transformed. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I was thinking about it. how difficult it's going to be able to, it's going to be to keep people out of things. Um, so for example, <laughs> my campus is. It, it has fences, um, but also specifically what prevents a lot of people from getting in and around it is just the fact that the outer ring of it is buildings that don't have entrances that face out. Um, and that's pretty fine because, well, the windows don't open and you can't 
just climb up the building, except now you can. Mm. Yeah. Um, so anyone can kind of get in anywhere unless I'm imagine. Well, no, that doesn't even work because in my head I was like, oh, unless you start putting, you know, spikes on stuff. But you might be able to climb the spikes depending climb on the, the size. Spikes, yeah. You got to just have like a, a row of barbed wire or something. Like buildings become tufted with the barbed wire where you don't want people to climb or some such, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Or Teflon, you know, some one of the, uh, non-stick, non-stick surfaces would become essential defense mechanisms, not just something you cook your bacon on. You know? Yeah, that's right. Um, Matt, how might this change our ways of thinking or metaphors we use? I think that... I'm always well, amazed when we take these experiments to the limit. It feels like yeah. We're, humans it. generally think in two dimensions, um, which is kind of funny since we presumably have some arboreal history, but we seem to have lost that huh. uh, for the most part. Um, Meaning we lived in trees and then we... Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but we, we think in terms of, of two dimensions. So, for instance, um, when you're fighting... Um, you expect, you know, punches and blows to come in um, uh, straight from the person's shoulders. So kicking someone in the shin is a very effective thing to do because suddenly their attention is down as opposed to up, and then they have trouble coming back up again. Matt, this um, is a double black belt in karate. I just mentioned yeah. it's, it's, not, it's um, not just... And, you know, I lived in New York. Um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so this is one of the reasons that, for instance, it's, it's really difficult to train um, uh, fighter pilots in the military and things oh. like submarine tactics are hard to, to grasp because you really do have to think in three dimensions for those. Um, so that's why those are such highly specialized skills. Um, so if we get used to thinking in three dimensions, um, then that opens up certain tactical and strategic uh, possibilities, too. Um, yeah. But then, as you say, I think the big impact would be on things like uh, urban design, um, how we build our buildings and how we organize our, our office and our, our work and living space. Um, uh, and whether that's all to the good, I don't know. I mean, it is good to be able to skip the queue at the buffet until you're the one being skipped on. Um, yes. uh, because someday <laughs> we'll all be the, the older aunt talking too much in line. Um, and then the kids scamper over the top of us, and we may not be happy about that. That's right. You try to stop the kids, but then their legs come off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Babysitting is a whole other project. Uh, I was about to say that, yeah, I was imagining oh, like kin kindergarten <laughs> where the kids could run on any surface. Amazing. Amazing. Um, well, this is this is a wonderful challenge. I, I, I am looking forward. It strikes me that this this falls into the category of this level of technological innovation we're looking at. Is it in the category of wearables? In a sense, I think normally yep. when I think of wearable mm -hmm. technology, I think about how they're integrating electronics into fabrics, or, or even just just wearing having the, having the ability to wear a computer on your wrist, and of course Google Glass, you know, computer computer displays in front of your eyes, and things like this. This is going to fall into that category um, mm -hmm. um quite uh, quite fascinating um gabby ha where do you where, what's the pinnacle of uh of this idea if you go as far as you can with it what, how does it leave you feeling you've seen i don't know i mean in general i am a huge fan of nanotech inspired by nature i think that there's a lot mm -hmm. of really funky things 
um, that exist out there in the world. So, for example, antimicrobial dragonfly wings, hmm. um, because they have structures that shred bacteria on them when they move. I think stuff like that is Whoa. super interesting. And, you know, technologies like that are going to be really important moving forward as, you know, we face a lot of biological problems like antibiotic resistance and stuff like that and things kind of evolving around our abilities to combat them. So I think in a weird way, we have to move back to physical things as opposed to biological and chemical uh, means of necessarily combating uh, whether or not bacteria, viruses, or um, just things like getting around. Um, so I do really like the idea of, you know, gecko gloves to be able to stick to things uh, easier, although I'm not sure how practical that is maybe for the average person. But, I mean, hell, maybe it's easier than getting on a ladder when you have to clean out the uh, <laughs> the leaves yeah. from your gutter or something like that. And uh, maybe it's safer because a lot of people do fall on ladders. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, I, I think that I love that there are certain things that happen that don't seem that amazing or radical or whatever but you take a moment and look at just the invention of of the stickies the little yellow pat, little you know yellow sheets of paper post-it notes uh, yeah. post-it notes that's what they're called post-it notes that i remember when those came out that was like kind of an amazing thing it didn't mm -hmm. didn't transform your way of seeing things but you you were like wow that's really amazing it's really neat. Could, yeah yeah it can stick to something and i can pull it off and it doesn't do any damage to the other things. It's just the right amount of stickiness. And it sticks like quite a few more surfaces than you would have thought you could do. Um, do you know some and of the history they are behind everywhere. stickiness? No, no. He was trying to create a super strong adhesive. And then he oh. noticed that the adhesive that he made was starting to make his notes stick together. And, but not a lot, just like a little. <laughs> and that actually was the inspiration behind sticky notes. Is that a weak uh, adhesive actually turned out to be more useful than an extremely strong adhesive. Yeah. Uh, that's a good lesson. Oh, I love I that. Like that. That's, a, that's what I guess what I mean, the counterintuitive nature of these things. And then and the, the pervasiveness of post-it notes and everything, you know, knockoffs and whatever, the whole way, is astounding, right? Um, I mean, I think I mean, there's going to be an archaeological layer that people can see. Ah, this is where the sticks to post-it notes suddenly arrive. This is... Right, that they just suddenly appeared. My computer even has digital sticky notes. I use them to keep track of dumb, dumb stuff that I don't want to put in a word document. So yeah, it's just yeah, kind of funny. Yeah. Physical, digital, it kind of translates. Mm -hmm. Well, in fact, <laughs> it's a fun thing. It's like it was Steve Jobs. Uh, came up with the idea, or you know, obviously probably someone working for him, but came up with one of the early, 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 early apps that appeared on a Mac, it just sort of came as a default with the Macintosh was the sticky app. And it's, I think it may be the only surplus, it's like the oldest app <laughs> that just still exists virtually unchanged on the Mac. Right. It's just yeah. a, such a great concept. You know, and you can change the color of yellow completely. Um, amazing. Well, thank you to the geckos of the world. Um, this show was not sponsored by the company that has the gecko as a thing. Um, maybe we'll find some of the other. There's another company, Liberty Mutual, that has a, a Limu or I don't know, a Lima. I mean, a, what is emu. that thing? It's emu. emu right? An emu, exactly. Mm -hmm. As an emu. I don't know if we'll suddenly, uh, you know, will we find some science behind it? Well, emu? yeah. I mean, if Liberty Mutual wants to sponsor an episode, um, that's fine. That's true. With me, right? Absolutely. We Please. Can... Thank you, Liberty Mutual. And then, of course, Aflac. 
<laughs> if the duck, you know, oh, there yeah, is okay. a lot of science behind ducks, right? You know, things that's even like that. Yeah, they're excellent they scientists. Yeah, they. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they quack a lot. Um, fantastic. Oh, well, that, thank, thank you. That would have been a perfect yeah. joke. I, I think what they're is all it? quacks. Oh, quacks. Yeah, that's right. No, good. <laughs> well, we have to end on this. That's it. That's it. And scene. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Matt, do you have anything you want to plug this week? Uh, you no, have a thing this Sunday. Or that was, uh, that that was, was last, last Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. Um, okay. No, I'm plugless. Mm -hmm. All right. How did it go? Is it available for people to see? Uh, it went well. I don't think it was recorded, um, ah. though, so it's it's vanished into the ether. All right. But uh, you'll, you'll have other talks. Yeah, there will be others. Up, no doubt. Gabby, anything you would like to plug? Nope. Up. No plugs. I'm boring. No. I'm still boring. <laughs> uh other than the um, lethal viruses you handle every day. Yeah, you know, but that's not really a thing for the public. So it's just the amount of engagement, I guess, <laughs> that people can uh, experience is a little minimal. Yeah, I think uh, the next uh, next te technological revolution uh, in HVAC, uh, you know, in air cooling systems, it's coming. In, in, and in fashion is the, what's it called again? The paper? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the paper. <laughs> it does dry out your contacts a little. Fair warning. Oh. <laughs> There's a downside. That's right. But, you know, if you need if you need to suddenly go with uh, gas uh, gas warfare against anything inside your suit, you, you, you can be trained to use, that, to use your paper responsibly. Thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you for supporting us, by the way, on Patreon. We are supported by members like you, as they say. Uh, Patreon.com slash what the if. Go there. She's not gone there yet. Um, and find out what you get as a member uh, of the what the if um, community. A super ifer. You can become a super ifer through membership. Uh, we have all kinds of fun uh, gifts for those who join. So go check it out. Patreon.com slash what the if. Also, if you want to know more about us, just go to our website, whattheif.com. That can also take you to our membership program. Uh, so go check that out. And on Twitter, I haven't talked about Twitter in a while. Twitter's all over in the news. So uh, we, uh, along with Elon Musk, are on Twitter. And we are at What The If Show. Um, so far, we don't have anything that's sort of autonomous or self-piloting, but maybe we can work on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm self-piloting like half the time. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We have self-piloting hoodies. The hood comes on. Yeah. It has a sensor. It just senses what you need a little extra protection or a little you need to hide your identity um so thank you all thank you all for supporting thank you for supporting simply by listening and uh by the way if you, you know, whatever app you're using here's another shout out for some way you can support the show i you can leave us a review great or just tell you what the if. just go up to your friends and say what the if uh and <laughs> if you're familiar with this program then you know we have a closing um, Gabby, could you lead us in first, first explain what is the ritual and then, and then we'll allow people to take a moment to get their breath and join us in our closing ceremonies. Yeah. So as we consider all of the ifs, um, that are all around us as we keep ascending higher and higher, uh, on surfaces we should not be able to reach with our, our little gecko <laughs> gloves. Uh, we cannot help but to shout the name of the show in unison together. 
What the is? Thank you all for listening. Use your gecko gloves responsibly. Uh, uh, the lost and found situation, but if you find a gecko glove stuck to a building, interesting to imagine what happened. What happened here? Um, but you might as well take it and uh, return it to the lost and found office. Hopefully the person <laughs> uh, survived the, uh, the moment. Um, if you could lose a limb, which limb would you lose? Let us know. You can always send us ideas. Whatthef.com, shoot us uh, your thoughts for a show you'd like to do. And by the way, if we run with one of your shows, you become a super hipper automatically. But if you'd like to do it uh, voluntarily for fun, go to patreon.com. Thank you all for listening. And remember, sometimes just being a little bit sticky is good enough. We'll see you next week. <laughs>